morning. Rob McMillan, 1163 Broadmoor, Napa. I've lived in Napa County since 98, and as you can see from the slide up here, I'm confused because I thought I was, uh, I, I thought I was, no, no, you're right. I, I thought there was Napa County supervisors that I was pre presenting to, and so um, that's, uh, but that's the nature of my life. I kind of wander in the clouds. Um, first, I'm going to skip through this, oops, not that, there we go. I'm gonna skip through all of this stuff, but I wanna thank you guys first for what you do because I think you guys have a, an incredibly difficult job balancing the needs uh, of the community. And and one of the things, when you hear, when you hear narrative out there, uh, you hear, you know, things that seem to be juxtaposed. And sometimes I think that if we listen hard enough, we might actually find common ground and I actually believe that when you listen to both sides of an argument right now in, in the wine business, I think we actually do have common ground. And that is, I think it's in all of our best interests, whether you live in Napa County, whether you live in the city of Napa like I do, or you uh, work in the wine business, no matter what we do, the community that we have and the, 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 the valley that we have here is, is certainly worth protecting. And whether if you're in the wine business, it is the goose that lays the golden egg. So it's critical that it be protected. And if you are a person that just is up here with a vacation home, you came up here because you like the valley and you want to protect that. And so I do think that that, that is common ground. And if we get through some of the narrative and the, and the hashing back and forth and start to focus on some of the things, um, uh, you know, away from, you know, tourism, bad tourism, good, and into, okay, what are the problems and what do we want to see? Then I think maybe, maybe we might be able to make some positive movement. So thank you guys for what you do. I really do appreciate it sincerely. Um, this is me, and um, I, I do a, a lot of work and research. One of the things I do is I, I write a annual State of the Industry Report, which I just released in um, uh, November, pardon me, uh, January 21st. And uh, in that report, I uh, predicted a couple of things that I think are, are noteworthy. One is the, the fine wine business will grow uh, between nine and 13% this next year. The other thing is that imports would become more, uh, they would take market share from our domestic producers. And the third thing is um, related to this chart right here. This is wine consumption um, in, the, in the US from 1980 to 2013. And, and as you can see, if you go back to this period right here, that's the end of the two martini lunch. And at that point we started saying alcohol consumption in and of itself is evil. <laughs> back to back to Richard's thing, it's evil, um, and people were looking, uh, you know, more for exercise and and health consciousness, and I think we all are, anyways. But uh, in this case, it started a a long downward trend in uh, consumption patterns. Um, what I have predicted in the State of the Industry report for 2016 is that we will actually see once again a decline in per capita consumption in the, in the United States. What this chart doesn't show is that last year it was actually flat. Um, so I have to update that. And uh, with the, the changes that are happening in the marketplace, we do expect that this next year uh, we should see a decline in per capita consumption. So let's look at what, what's happened over this period of time. Why did, why did it go down? What did we do? And, and how did it come back up? Wine Club started to grow after the two martini lunch, but that was in response really to the fact that the wineries were having a hard time uh, selling things. They were, just, they were just doing whatever they could. And back then we had the 13 reciprocal states that you could sell to, but largely everything was sold in California. And if you're in Napa, it's probably sold to the Bay Area. 
Um, and so you were, you were asking people to come to your case and you were doing anything you could to make sales. It was a very difficult time in the business. I started in the business in 1981. Um, but we started to become a little concerned about tourism and um, and other things so we said well you know wh what is the winery definition what is the definition of a winery because we had to go back to uh, the laws that were passed in the 60s regarding the ag preserve and, and so we started to, to play with that because we were concerned about the changes um, and then we hit 1993 we have a we have a grape shortage all of a sudden and then because of the boomers at that point we started to take off in, in uh, consumption of, of wine um, there's a lot of other reasons why uh, consumption started to trend up, but uh, one of them happens to be the, the uh, French paradoxes aired on 60 Minutes prior to that. But really, it was the, the boomers who, uh, who really took over the, the, all the markets, not just wine, but all the markets. And we, we've seen this kind of growth for an extended period of time. Um, the response by the wholesalers at that time were to say, whoa, 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 we, we got to have fine wine arms, you know, and so we promise you, small winery producer, we will always be here for you. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's not really what happened because we ended up in 2000, we ended up with, with grape excess because of overplanting. We had the 9-11 tech recession that, that came in and distributors said, rightfully so, we have too much inventory. We have, now we have all these little teeny wineries and we have all of this inventory stuck in the warehouses and we don't know what to do with it. We gotta get better at managing. And so that really almost overnight it was like a switch. It just changed the nature of the business. Wholesalers got out of the, the small wine business. And fortunately, Granholm and, and internet shopping came in at the same time. And I, I don't want to overstate the internet shopping piece of it because the, the nature of being able to have reciprocal states or being able to have full uh, rights to sell into the other states now does not mean that you can sell all of your wine through the internet. And I'll show you in a, in a chart exactly what that looks like right now. Um, wholesalers consolidated, as Richard has said, and what that has led to when you, is direct sales accelerating. So we go back uh, again into the 80s and we see you know direct sales were accelerating, wine clubs growing with declining consumption. Now we have increasing consumption, but the increasing consumption is driving direct sales for different reasons, right, than we had before. So they're very different things. So talking about the channels, right now, 39% of sales are through wholesale, 56% are direct, and that's the tasting room um, in the wine club primarily. If you look at the, the other category, that's phone sales and internet sales. So when I was going back to the internet thing on the prior chart, um, recognize it's still for the average winery in Napa County, a very, very small component of, of total sales satisfaction with wholesale uh, arrangements. So this is a chart, we, we, we do these surveys annually and uh, this is the one that we, uh, we just completed in November. And so you can see that 2% have seething hatred for, <laughs> for wholesaler arrangements. 42% um, are satisfied and, and largely when you look at Napa County, there's uh, a lot of larger wineries and so they do have good wholesaler uh, uh, arrangements. But 62% are not satisfied or ambivalent at a, at a minimum. So the wholesaler situation does not work for the small winery. How are Napa wines sold? When you look at this chart, what you're seeing, the, the yellowish, goldish, whatever color that is, um, is a representation of bottle price in Napa. If you look at the gray, the gray chart, that is the rest of the United States um, in terms of bottle price. So you can kind of get a sense that, that Napa 
prices are not only higher, but they, they're kind of bimodal, if you will, or bi-nodal, um, with uh, something in the $30, $35 price point as one thing that sticks out, another in the 60 We hear a lot about the, the 200 and above or the 125 and above Cabernets, but largely, you know, we're, we're in that 60 and that $30 uh, price point as a county. Um, this is a slide. It's, now, this, this goes back to the 2013 tasting room survey that we do. The other one I showed you just uh, a second ago. Let me go back just to show you, just so you can compare. Um, notice this one, 56% of average sales are direct. And that was from this recent survey. And then I go back to this one. This is 2013, so this is three years ago. And if you look at the orange bar on the right, 44% are direct in Napa. So you can see that we're actually increasing on the direct side rather substantially. And most of the sales for us are in the small winery category, that 50, 56, 58%. Those are all under 10,000 cases. And largely that's the kind of wineries that we have in Napa. Um, those are the ones that, that need the direct. And as you, as you go down, obviously, if you don't need direct as much, you know, why would you do it? You would rather sell by the pallet than by the bottle. That's just the way it is. And, and um, it's, it's really because of the market conditions that people do go direct now. What consumers expect when they're buying wine? This is, a, a, I think, a critical component. Do they, do, are they just looking for the low price? Not for Napa, I don't believe. Unobtainable, maybe. Um, you know, it's, there's a collection, collectible thing. But I think all people want value on anything. It doesn't matter if it's a Mercedes or Hyundai or, or whatever. They, everybody wants value. So how do you define value? A lot of people say it's price over quality. But for a luxury good, it's a little different. It's your, the perceived quality of a given brand, but there's an experience that, that, that takes place as well. And it, and it doesn't matter what kind of a luxury brand, there's an experience. There's a, there's a shopping experience if you're out buying, you know, um, you know pick any of your luxury fashion uh, jewel, jewelry, etc. There's there's an experience in shopping that you're looking for, and then that's overpriced. So the way that you can increase your value then is by improving your experience, improving not only the quality of the wine, perhaps uh, that might be something, but it's also the branding of that wine. So what do people expect when they're buying Napa wine? Same as everything else, they expect value, but in a luxury good, experience is really kind of a critical component. How much do wineries make? This is a, you know, I, I hear a lot of, of the narrative um, out here, um, you know, rich winery owners and, and somehow, um, you know, that that's a, a negative. Uh, and I just, one quick sidebar, uh, I was just seeing the other day that I think we have now 10% of the county that's been donated by rich people, obviously, um, into the Napa Valley Land Trust for permanent protection. I think that's, that's worthy of note. 10%, that's, I don't know what other county does that, and that's really cool to me. So how much do these wineries make? Um, if you look in this period, um, and by the way, this is uh, Silicon Valley Bank proprietary information. We, we have about 300 winery clients, and um, in this case, these are agglomerated financial statements of all of these clients. So you're not looking at a specific client, you're looking at the average of the Napa wineries that, uh, that we bank. If you go back to 2009, you can see at the, at the recession, sales growth, which is that middle, uh, middle uh, it's a 6.3, it's kind of hard to see the minus, but it's, that was the first time I'd seen declining sales growth. So we actually had negative sales growth in um, coming out of the recession um, in, the, in the county. Uh, Pre-tax profit was still there, uh, gross margin 60%. So 
move forward now to 2014, gross margin still you know hanging in there about the same spot. Sales growth up to 14% and profit still you know reasonably okay. Moving forward to the present, we're still looking very consistent with gross mar gross margin. Sales growth is starting to uh, to decline a little bit and flatten. Consistent with the economy right now that is is slowing overall. Um, so it's not surprising to see um, see sales growth starting to drop off um, the post-recovery numbers. Tasting room dynamics, I'm gonna run through a few of these slides. So Napa is a little bit unique from, from uh, the rest of the, uh, the wine consuming or the wine producing uh, regions. Um, we have a lower percentage of tasting rooms compared to other regions, which might be a surprise to a lot of people. Um, 78 Point nine two. I mean, that's a little, maybe too precise, but <laughs> roughly 80% of Napa County um, has uh, uh, tasting rooms for, for a given winery. How do people buy? Well, as it turns out, seated tastings are uh, produce a better return for a winery. So there's different ways to sell wine, but uh, you know, you can have a tasting bar. People can walk up to it. It's the one on the left, $77.62. So you know, if you can think of it like a fish ladder and people coming down the river and you're, you're harvesting fish, whoever these fish are, uh, you know, the, that's what your return is going to be. And so the thought in one business model is the more fish I can get through the door, uh, you know, the, the more returns I can get. The other way is seated and privated. You're going to have fewer fish, but you're targeting, you're using the right bait, the right lures. Um, and, uh, and in this case, hopefully what you're doing is you're using really good retail uh, sales practices and, and, and going direct to consumer, picking those consumers out. Who do you want to come visit you? So it's, it's the mass versus the little. And I think, I think if you look, um, I was looking at some county reports the other day, and uh, somewhere uh, is a large percentage of, of uh, visitors to Napa that go to the top six wineries that have over 200,000 visitors a year. And these, these smaller ones that have the CETA tasting room, and, and that's largely the kind of permits that we grant now, are, are, uh, they're not fully open, they're by appointment. It's not such a bad thing to have by appointment for most of, of the wineries because you do get a better return. It's just you have to change your business model in the way that you do it. Um, they, they also have the highest tasting room purchase. When you when you look through, that's not surprising. Napa Belly's wines are world known and carry pretty high brand prices. Um, important concept. So conversion of tasting room visitors to purchase. Somebody walks in your door, how many of those actually sign up for a tasting room? Sonoma 60%, Napa Valley 62%. Overall, it's a little bit higher. Um, I think that's probably because we have more uh, Casual visitors, maybe that, that that want to experience Napa, um, but the the conversion rate in, in order to con, uh, to make money and make sales and direct sales, you've got to have this this uh, uh, an improving cons conversion rate. And then the other piece of it, what you're really looking for from metric, is the average. Uh, pardon me, the the total lifetime value of a club member. Right? You want to get these people in your tasting room. You want to sell them a club membership, and then you want to keep them as long as you can. That's, that's an annuity that you get. And yet, um, across the board for Napa County, you can see 20.8 uh, months uh, in terms of their, their membership. So less than every two years, you, you turn over effectively your, your entire club. So you have to re replenish these consumers every two years at this stage. 
Now that number is improving in Napa, but it's still, you know, woefully low. I, I would love to see it go. I'm sure all the wineries would as well see it go to three years and 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 be able to keep these things. That's that uh, keep these consumers. That is a um, a work in process. On average, it's it's 18 months. Um, I think I mentioned already that Napa has the highest percentage of by appointment tastings, um, and I think when you compare it to other regions, probably we still have a very high number of, of uh, tourists relative to those other regions, even though we're by appointment. Matter of fact, I would say if you cut out the, the smallest, I'm off, off my, uh, my message for just a second, I think if you probably just got rid of the, the 10% of the smallest wineries, I don't think you would see any change in tourism whatsoever in Napa County, that's just my guess. So summary, direct sales are not the first choice for wineries, they would prefer to go wholesale. It's just, it's a lot easier to go wholesale. You sell a pallet of wine, uh, you sell it consumer, you got, now you have an increasing number of people that have to do it. You have so many people that have to touch your selling by the bottle, you hope to sell by the bottle. It's a big day when you sell by the case. Napa wines are hand sold, they're luxury goods. Experience is a, a critical part of it. Um, a big part of Napa sales and an increasing part are sold direct and it's, it's critical for that. Consumers stay in a wine club less than two years. It's the, the, the tasting room is the best source of new club members. As a matter of fact, I don't know what the second best source for wine clubs is. I don't know exactly what that might be, but it's so far down the list that it's, it's not meaningful. Uh, most small family wineries in Napa won't survive without um, direct consumer sales. It's, it's um, a no brainer. Now how you guys get there and balance competing interests is why I thank you for your service. So, and thank you for my time. Thank you, Mr. McMillan. Um, I had a follow-up question. Um, thank you very much. Uh, this is uh, such good information. I think I saw your presentation about two years ago, and it's great to see the numbers updated so we can try to understand the trends a little bit more. Um, and one question I had was, you know, as you're mentioning here, this 56% um, percent of average winery sales come direct. Um, do you have an insight into um, the trend within that number about, because we, we haven't talked too much about um, the internet sales, because I, I think if I understand you correctly, when you're talking about direct-to-consumer sales, that's um, someone who comes in, experiences the winery, tastes the wine, and purchases on, on site. Right. But it's also the person who goes on the internet and remembers that experience and um, buys wine from the the winery's website. Right. Um, are you able to see um, as we all get more used to using the internet and using you know those kind of mail services, mm -hmm. if there's a trend in um, any kind of brand loyalty there, or does it become uh, sort of a free for all that um, that you're just in the big marketplace again, or are those people who come to that winery? Um, staying loyal to that winery experience. Yeah, good, yeah, good question. The, um, the average winery in Napa gets 2.5% of their sales through the internet. So it's a very small component. Um, you add the phone sales and the winery, or and the internet sales together, it's about 5%. So again, a very, very small component. When, when people leave a wine club, this is part of the discovery, I think, in wine clubs, is if a winery ships let's just say, say they shipped you six cases every uh, quarter, you're probably going to quit after maybe the first quarter mm -hmm. because you can't drink that much. 
And so figuring out what the consumer depletion rate is ends up being really important. And, and trying to figure out how to lengthen this, this uh, club membership ends up being re really important. And those are some of the challenges right now that, that uh, the wineries have to deal with. Because obviously the, the, uh, the option is to go to the internet, right? So you can say, well, what do I lose by leaving the membership? And so that's why it's so important for the, for the winery to define what that membership is and create an experience around it. Otherwise, you can just go internet. And so far, you know, the internet sales have not really done very well, at least for the, the small wineries. Thank you. Yeah. Rob, I just had a quick question. So uh, basically, uh, part of your thesis here was that uh, appointment only scenarios for wineries is better for a winery's return. Uh, and basically, by the person. I'm sorry? By the person, yeah. By the person. And is that because of the perception of perceived quality when it is by appointment only or I think no I think when you know if you have a tasting bar and you have a lot of people coming in you're probably going to generate more overall return because you have a lot of people coming in uh, but when you have by appointment you now you have targeted people rifled in that are coming to see you for a specific purpose they're going to sit through a tasted uh, a tasting and at the end of that the the person for the winery is going to say well what do you think <laughs> right um, and if you've come there you're obviously going to buy something even if you didn't like the wine uh, you're probably going to buy a bottle of something just to you know uh, make them feel because you're, you're going to feel guilty otherwise um, uh, so guilt comes into sales I think in that case but uh, but yeah that's I think that's the reason why it's the 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 seated tastings end up being more effective also means you have to raise your bar as a sales staff in that direct program to make sure that you're bringing in the people that aren't going to waste your time while you're sitting and tasting and they, they have to have a reason to want to come uh, and I think that that's a that's a really interesting thing that is really kind of Napa County specific when you look at the wine business as a whole the fact that we do have all these seated tastings and it's because we have by you know by appointment tastings that are, are you know kind of the way we do things here now but it, I don't think it really hurts. I think it actually is is a fine way to do business. You just have to change your model a bit. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, Mike. Oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner Scott. Um, my question relates. Do you have any comparative data that uh, that shows the the uh, the growth of wine club membership from? Uh, Tastings by appointment versus walk-ins or random uh, people that come in. Is there any, or is it just directly related to these seated tastings? So, is your question is, what's the relationship between a walk-in and growth in wine club? It is, it, yeah, I'm looking to see if if there's a difference between the the uh, the success rate of of uh, attracting wine club members through drop-ins as compared to the success rate with uh, by appointment. Yeah, the conversion rate I think is one of the slides yes. in there. And so uh, con the conversion rate is better with you know the, the, the people that are actually coming in by appointment versus just the walk-in. There's, there's many people that like 
to come up to Napa and think it's a party. You know, yeah, they're, they're, they're by making an appointment. In other words, they're they're it's a predetermination. It's yeah, they're far more inclined to join, be part of a wine club. Yep. Any others? Okay, I'll take other questions later if you think come to you. Yep.